Maybe you've heard of this figure in the Old Testament, a man named Job. You might see his name and think it's pronounced Job, but we think it's pronounced Job. And Job's a very interesting character of the Old Testament. And he's mentioned in one verse of the New Testament. But his one verse mentioned in the New Testament, I think is so wonderful, it's so spectacular, that really what I'm going to do with you here this evening is just develop what James chapter 5 verse 11 says about this man Job. Let's take a look at here, James 5 11. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end, the goal, intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Friends, this evening, I just want to talk about three points from James chapter 5, verse 11. Very simple. First of all, how the story of Job shows us the perseverance of Job. By the way, in the King James Version, it uses the phrase, the patience of Job. You ever heard somebody use that phrase? That man must have the patience of Job. They get it right here from James 5.11. So the perseverance of Job is the first thing we're going to look at. The second thing we're going to look at is the end or the goal intended by the Lord. And the third thing we're going to look at is that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. These are three things that the story of Job shows us. So let's take a look at number one, the perseverance of Job. And to look at the perseverance of Job, I'd like you to turn to the book of Job, chapter one. I want to draw your attention to verses 20 through 22 of Job chapter one. We want to look here at how this exemplifies for us the perseverance of Job. Here we go, Job chapter 1, starting at verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, And naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Right, what happened in the life of Job to bring him to this place where he makes this very dramatic statement in verse 21 in particular. Well, let me give you a little bit of background about Job. There's a lot we don't know about him. We don't know exactly when and where Job lived. Some people believe that Job lived in the time between Noah and Abraham. That's a very real possibility. Other people put him in the time of the patriarchs, perhaps in the generations after Jacob and Esau. We don't even know exactly where Job came from. It describes it there, what is it, the land of Uz, and it says that it may have lived in that area north of the promised land, but we don't know for certain. We just know that this was a real man who had a real relationship with God, and his real story is described for us in the book of Job. 
We do know three things about Job that are very significant. Number one, we know that Job was a godly man. Make no mistake about that. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. That's a godly man. Matter of fact, that same statement is repeated in verse 8 of Job chapter 1. God said, I'm going to give it to you twice, just so everybody knows this is a very godly man, this man Job. Job also loved his family. He took a great interest in their spiritual war welfare. So this was a, a very godly man. That's one thing we know about Job for certain. Here's the second thing we know about Job for certain. That he was the object of a controversy between himself and, or excuse me, a controversy between God and Satan. Job was like in the middle of it. You see, the book of Job tells us in chapter 1 that one day Satan, along with other angelic beings, I would say it's likely that these were a combination of faithful angelic beings, we usually call those angels, and fallen angelic beings, we usually call those demonic spirits or demons, that one day Satan, together with other angelic beings, presented himself before the Lord God. And God used that occasion to boast about his servant Job. Don't you think that's a remarkable thing? That God would look down from heaven and boast about one of his children. Now, I know you might immediately think, man, wouldn't that be awesome if God boasted about me? Well, hang on. You got to get the rest of the story of Job. But the Lord boasted about Job in the presence of Satan. And Satan replied, no, 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 God. I'm paraphrasing, of course. No, 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 God, you've got it all wrong. You think that fella Job is awesome. I'm telling you, he's terrible. Because the only reason he obeys you, the only reason he honors you, it's because of the good things that you give him. Essentially, not only was this a slur against Job, Job, you look like a godly man, but you're not. You're just in it for what you can get from God. I want you to understand, it was not only a slur against Job, it was also a slur against God himself. You know, God, nobody would really serve you. Nobody would really honor you unless you bribe them to do it. You've got to bribe people with blessings. Otherwise, nobody would honor you or serve you the way that they should. So Satan's accusation was that Job was really a dishonorable, selfish man who only served the Lord because he blessed him so much. That's the second thing we know about Job. Godly man, that there was a controversy about Job between God and Satan. And then number three, this is what we know about Job, was that God gave Satan permission to take away Job's blessings. And Satan did it. Matter of fact, Satan did it in a way that would inflict the most possible misery upon Job. In one day, all of these disasters came upon Job. Ready? In one day, there were two separate raids of bandits against his flocks and possessions. They attacked Job's servants, killing the servants and stealing all his livestock. The same day, 
some kind of fire fell from the sky and burned up the rest of Job's servants and livestock, whatever the bandits didn't steal. And then third, and most terribly, a great wind flattened the house of Job's oldest son, and he died. But that's not the worst of it. The worst of it was his brothers and sisters were there with him in the house as well, and they all perished in the collapse of this house. Now, friends, it was in the context of that kind of agony that Job said what he said in verses 20, 21, and 22. Can you imagine that? On the day you lose everything, everything that seems precious to you, every blessing from God that you think you have, it's taken away from you in a moment. Yet Job said, he, well, I'll read it to you again, starting at verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshiped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now do you see why James, in James 5.11, is boasting on the perseverance of Job? You see, Satan was convinced. Uh, He said to God, God, if you let me take away all these blessings from Job, he'll curse you to his face. Just let me do it. Let me take away these blessings and I'll get Job to curse you. Friends, he didn't curse God. He blessed the name of the Lord. But notice, step by step, if you go back to verse 20 of Job chapter one, the first thing Job did was he tore his robe and shaved his head. Friends, those were emblems in that culture of mourning, of deep mourning. That's what somebody would do when somebody near to them died and they wanted to show that they were in deep mourning. And friends, it was appropriate for Job to mourn. Nobody should think that mourning is off limits for Christians. Friends, when bad things happen, we can mourn. Now, we don't mourn as the heathen mourn. We don't mourn as those who have no hope. But Job was appropriately sad and in mourning. But then notice the next thing he did in verse 20. Did you notice that? He fell to the ground and he worshiped. You see, in the midst of his mourning, Job also decided to worship God. And let's face it, he worshiped God despite the circumstances of his life, despite his feelings. You might even say that that was the purest worship that Job ever gave to God. Friends, you know how it is. Sometimes worship is the easiest thing in the world. Your heart is just filled with praise. You know, the first strum on the guitar, you're just singing praises to God. And there's other times... When it's hard to worship. I have to believe this was hard for Job to worship in this way. Yet he did and it honored God so greatly. Now, what did Job do? Excuse me, what did Job say? That's what he did. He mourned and he worshiped. What did he say in response to this? Look at his wisdom there in verse 21. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. I think that's a very godly and wise way to understand what was going on. Job said, look, I came into this world with nothing. That means everything I have is a gift from God. 
You know, when I came into this world, I didn't have a suit of clothes on. So if I got clothes on right now, that's better than the day I was born. I see every one of you are doing better than the day you were born. Anything you have is more than you were born with. And it's a gift from God. And he also realized that it was the Lord who gave it to him. Job didn't think that his prosperity in days past, that even though he lost everything, his prior prosperity, he said, the Lord gave it to me. It wasn't just, well, I'm a smart man. I'm a hardworking man. No, it was God. He didn't say I earned it all. He said it was the Lord's gift. And he said this, Lord, I know that you are in control of my life. No matter what the immediate source of of, of, of adversity is, I know that you are working in and through all things. Friends, what a powerful implication there is in those words that the Lord gave. It means that we should never think that the good things of this world come to us from this world. They come to us from heaven. And they come to us as gifts. Notice, the Lord gave. He gives his gifts. And God gives his gifts with kindness and thoughtfulness. No wonder Job could say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He honored God. He worshiped him. It's almost as if, well, no, let me back up a little bit. What did Satan want Job to do? curse the name of the Lord. And it's almost as if in some unseen way, because Job didn't know anything about this this controversy between God and Satan, but it's almost as if Job had some supernatural insight and he said this, the devil wants me to curse the Lord, I'm gonna bless him instead. Isn't that a wonderful attitude of life? Friends, you can take it to the bank. Whatever the devil wants you to do, do the opposite and you'll be on the right track. Job said, no, I'm gonna bless the name of the Lord. Satan's strategy didn't work. And that's why God said, you saw it there in verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He he didn't do anything wrong. He was right to understand that even though God was behind ultimately all things, that even though that was true, God was managing all affairs and he could bless the name of the Lord. Now friends, you could say very rightly, that Job was under severe spiritual attack. I mean, that's pretty easy to say, isn't it? You don't have to be a genius to figure that one out. The book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in chapter six, he talks about this dynamic of spiritual warfare. And he says that one of the entire points of spiritual warfare is so that we may stand. In other words, that just like a soldier would have a a position that they would stand upon and not be shaken from. That's what God wants his people to be able to do when when spiritual attack comes against them, to be able to stand. And, And I know that there's a time to advance. There's a time to even do more than stand, to go forward. But really what Paul emphasizes there in Ephesians chapter six is the whole idea of to stand. And don't you see that that is exactly what Job did. He stood his ground with God strengthening him. He made a stand against fear and he didn't give in to panic. He made a stand against against make-believe pretending and he appropriately mourned. He made a stand against pride and he humbled himself before God. He made a stand against self and decided to worship God even if he didn't feel like it. He made a stand against a 
time-bound earthly mindset and he chose to think in terms of eternity. He made a stand against anger and he did not blame God. Now friends, I don't fault Satan for thinking that his strategy would work against Job. Satan probably saw it work a dozen times before, if not more, but it would not work against Job. He blessed the name of the Lord. Friends, that is the perseverance of Job. And we look at it across the centuries and we marvel. Doesn't that make you say for your life, listen, Lord, no matter what I'm going through, as severe as it is, even if it's worse than everybody I know, what I'm going through is that bad. I don't think it's as bad as what Job suffered. And the same God that upheld Job with his invisible hand and gave him the strength to persevere, dear brother and sister, he'll give you the strength to persevere in your present calamity. You can trust it. The perseverance of Job is a model for us. But then James talks about something else in James chapter 5, verse 11. Do you remember that? He talks about the end intended by the Lord. A goal. Something God wants to accomplish. What was the end intended by the Lord? Well, friends, we know this from Job chapter 1. The end intended by the Lord. God wanted to use Job to teach Satan and the other angels in the heavenly realm to teach them something. You, you think you know so much, Satan. You, you think that Job is a man who will curse me. I know he's not. Let me teach you. You, you think, Satan, that the only reason I get obedience or worship from people is because I bribe them with blessings. No, I'm going to use Job to teach you. It's really that simple. God wanted to use Job to be a lesson to angelic beings. Friends, that was the end intended by the Lord. Now, you might think, wow, Job is like this super unique example in all of the scriptures. Well, God using a human being to be a lesson to the angels? Man, that's, that's really out there. There must not be many people that God works that through. And actually, the Bible tells us just the opposite. Did you know that the Bible tells us that God is using his church? I believe that tonight... I'm not just looking out upon a congregation gathered on a Wednesday night. I'm looking out upon a segment of God's church. His eternal church. Now his church is much bigger than those who are gathered here this evening. His church extends all the way back to the day of Pentecost. His church extends forward all the way until the end of this church age. His church is assembled throughout all geographies, throughout all nationalities, throughout all generations in that time period. The church is something glorious. But God says that he's going to use the church to teach angelic beings. You and me. Friends, it's right there in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Let me read that to you. God says that God intends that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. In other words, it's the church making known his wisdom to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to his eternal purpose. Friends, principalities and powers is almost like uh, uh, New Testament vocabulary, New Testament almost code speak for angelic beings. God is using the church. No, maybe put it this way. 
God is using you to teach angelic beings. Now, when I say that, I don't blame you for for scratching your head. What possibly, you think, could God teach angelic beings, both faithful angelic beings and fallen angelic beings, what could he possibly teach them through me? Well, let me just say from the outset, I want to point out that this reminds us that God has called us for something greater than our own individual salvation and sanctification. We are called to be the tool, the instrument by which God will teach heavenly beings and teach them a beautiful lesson. Again, I I don't want to alarm anybody, but right now in this room, we are surrounded by invisible spiritual beings that we can't see. There are angelic beings in our company here this evening. And I suppose that there are somewhere, there's demonic beings present. They are watching us. And God wants to teach them through his working in our lives. Friends, angels are looking at us and they want to know just like they looked at Job. Angels look at us and they say, are are you going to live for self or are you going to live for the Lord? Those angels want to know. You're going to live a life of compromise or a life of bold obedience? The angels want to know. Are you going to be happy with just sort of this superficial image of being a good Christian? Or are you really going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Look, you can fool the person sitting next to you. But you can't fool those angelic beings. God wants to teach them through you. I know what some of you might say. You might say, David, if me being a lesson for the angels means I got to go through what Job went through, I'm not interested in that. Thank you very much. Well, let me back up just a little bit. First of all, Look, honestly, it doesn't really matter what you or I or anybody else think about it. This is what God is doing. We can't like opt out of this. Okay, Lord, the the teach angels through me. No, I want to opt out of that part. I'll take other parts of the Christian life. No, God says, look, this is a work I'm doing through the church, through my people. And that's his good and glorious work. But here's the other aspect that I want you to think about. It is a good reason. Just because Job couldn't see it doesn't mean that it wasn't a good reason. It wasn't a glorious reason. You see, Job's job and ours is to trust the great reasons of God even when we can't see them. Lord, you've got a purpose and I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. All right, this is heavy, isn't it? This is big. What do we see in James 5.11? We see the patience of Job. We see the end intended by the Lord. And then we see the third thing. Do you see, remember the third thing? That the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Friends, I gotta say, of the three things that James says about Job, that's the one in my mind, that is the most counterintuitive. You see, another purpose of God in the whole story of Job 
is to show that he is indeed very compassionate and merciful. And I'm going to admit, that is not immediately apparent in the book of Job. You might look at the book of Job and say, no, it looks to me like God is torturing this poor man. Torturing this poor man just so that he can teach some angelic beings a lesson. And I don't like that very much. I don't see that the story of Job shows that God is very compassionate and merciful. But I want you to know, friends, it does say that. God's word is true. Now let me illustrate this from the life of Job. As bad as it was for Job when he lost all of his possessions and all of his children, all of his servants, he lost it all in one afternoon Do you realize that afterwards it got worse for him? How could it get worse? Well, in Job chapter 2, Satan comes back to God. And God says, hey, Satan, have you seen my servant Job? You thought you could get him to curse me, and it looks like he didn't do it. What do you think about that? You know what Satan's answer was? And again, of course, I'm paraphrasing, but I hope I'm paraphrasing, but I hope I'm being faithful to the idea here. He said, no, listen, the, the problem, God is that Job hasn't been tested enough. Yes, it's true, he lost the blessing of all his possessions. It's true, he lost the blessing of all of his servants. It's true that he lost the blessing of all of his servants, but here, all of his children. But look, here's the real problem, God. You didn't let me touch him directly in his body. You let me put the heat on him directly, and I'll get him to curse you. You know, really, Satan was almost telling God that Job was worse than anybody could imagine. That Job didn't care about losing his children or his servants or his wealth as long as he was okay personally. And God said, no, Satan, I don't think you're right. I'll give you latitude to touch Job directly. Going through the book of Job, you see how physically afflicted Job was. Now, if you go through the book of Job, it's fascinating. You can compile something like a medical chart for Job. You want me to tell me all Job's ailments here as reflected through the book of Job? Here we go. This is what he suffered from. Intense pain, peeling and darkened skin, pus-filled erupting sores, anorexia, emaciation, fever, depression, weeping, sleeplessness, nightmares, bad breath. It actually says that in Job 19.17. He couldn't breathe well. His vision failed. His teeth were rotting. He looked terrible. There were painful, swollen sores all over his body, intense itching, and this condition lasted for months. Yeah, Satan attacked Job in his very body. Now friends, after that, how can anybody say that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful to allow Satan to do such things to Job? Well, let me give you a few reasons why God was indeed very compassionate and merciful. Number one, God was very compassionate and merciful to Job because he only allowed this suffering for a good reason. Now look, I'm going to be straight with you. Job didn't know the reason. You know this whole drama that happened in heaven between God and Satan? Job, as far as we know, was unaware of it. 
but it was still real. Friends, God has good reasons even when we can't see them. Just because you can't see God's good reason doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And by the way, the book of Job teaches us that there's an aspect of human misery that is not a penalty for sin. Job wasn't being punished for his sin. He wasn't even being corrected for righteousness. He wasn't being punished to redeem himself. But no, he was being, uh, he went through this great trial as a tool to teach angelic beings. Friends, I earnestly believe that there are things that we will go through as the children of God that honestly, from an earthly perspective, may not make any sense at all. But God in heaven knows and has a good, wise reason for why he's allowed it. And we can't despair just because we can't see the reason for it. Job understood that. And the Lord was very compassionate and merciful. Here's another way that God was compassionate and merciful to Job. Because he restricted what Satan could do to him. Friends, as bad as what Satan did against Job, I'm telling you, he wanted to do more. If he were allowed to, he would have taken Job's life. But God would not allow it. Though Satan was able to attack Job in a much greater way than before, his power was not unlimited. Friends, always remember that God will never allow Satan to do against you all the evil that he would intend. God restricts Satan and his agents. God was very compassionate and merciful to Job because God sustained him with his unseen hand throughout all of his suffering. Friends, this great triumph of faith that we see in Job, do you think it came in him as he acted alone? No, no, it worked in him as God was working in him and through him. I love something that Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, God said to himself, if Satan shall do so much, I will do more. If he takes away much, I will give more. If he tempts a man to curse, I will fill him so full of love for me that he will bless me. I will help him. I will strengthen him. Yes, I will uphold him with the right hand of my righteousness. That's exactly what God did in Job's life. Friends, If you've ever experienced it yourself or talked to people who have undergone great tragedy in the Lord, often, I'm not going to say it's all the time, but often their testimony is like this. I don't know how I made it through that. I don't know how I got through it. I I don't know how I had a peace in the midst of that storm. I don't know how God could convince me that it was going to be all right when it seemed everything was so wrong. And that was what God did with Job. He found a way to uphold him even in the midst of great crisis. And God was very compassionate and merciful to Job because in the whole process, God used Satan himself. Look, even as Satan went out to try to do his worst against Job, God did his best in and through Job. Friends, listen. Satan intends one thing, but God uses him for another thing. And it's really crazy. 
At the end of it all, God had accomplished something wonderful. Look, at the beginning of the book of Job, he's a very good man and he's a very blessed man. You know where he is at the end of the book of Job? He's a better man and he's a more blessed man. How could such things happen? Because what Satan intended for evil, God used for powerful good. And looking at it as a whole, we can see just how foolish the devil was in his attack against Job. Now, I don't want to short sell the agony that Job went through. It was through much agony. It was truly a fellowship of the sufferings. But Job ended in a far better place than before. And that's how God wants to work in the lives of every one of his children through their times of suffering and difficulty. We might say, as Charles Spurgeon said, that Satan, in all that he did against Job, he ended up only building a pedestal upon which Job would stand so that all the ages could look upon Job and be amazed at how God could work in a man. Think of how many people through the ages have found comfort and strength in the patience of Job. They've said, listen, I've suffered, but I'm not suffering worse than Job. If Job could remain faithful to God, if Job could see God's work accomplished in and through him, then God can work that way in and through me. Friends, not only did Job bless God and not curse him, but Job has also led thousands upon thousands, countless of people through the ages to also bless the Lord instead of curse him. Satan, so to speak, shot himself in his own foot when he tried to attack Job. He was caught in his own trap. But think of how many other people have found comfort and strength in the end intended by the Lord in Job's life. You see, they realized that Job's trials and sufferings were not meaningless even though their meaning was hidden to Job. They realized, God may give me some great challenge. God may allow some great testing in my life. God may even do it as a lesson to angelic beings in heavenly places. But even as God uses us to teach both faithful and fallen angels, he's going to make us better and more blessed through it all. You know, I think one of the great lessons of the story of Job is, is how foolish Satan is. He engineered the tools of his own destruction. And happily through the scriptures, we see it again and again. Satan did the same thing with Joseph, sold into slavery. Whoops, Joseph is delivering the people of God. He did it with David, despised in his own family. Whoops, he's raised up to be the greatest king Israel ever saw. He did it with Mordecai and the Jews in the book of Esther. Oh, Haman, that enemy of the Jews, wanted to wipe them all out and exalt himself. Whoops. Haman was hanged on the very same gallows that he had appointed for Mordecai. Most of all, and you know this, he did it with Jesus on the cross. Don't you think 
that when Jesus was whipped and tortured, when that crown of thorns was pressed upon his brow, don't you think that when he was nailed to that wood and put upon that cross on Calvary, don't you think that there was rejoicing in the councils of hell? And it just turns out that that was the very instrument of defeat that God had ordained from the beginning of the ages for Satan and all of his agents. That is the most glorious example of what we see in the life of Job, what we see in the life of Joseph, what we see in the life of David, what we see in the life of Mordecai. But remember this, as great as the example and suffering of Job was, Job never paid for your sins. That great work of Jesus on the cross did that. And not only did it pay for our sins, it utterly defeated the devil and the powers of darkness. Friends, it's kind of a a failure on my part if you leave here today worried about what the devil might do to you. No, no, no. The way to leave today is to leave confident in the triumph of God and that you have a loving father in heaven who will build in you what he's built in his servants such as Job throughout the ages. The perseverance of Job, the the wonderful work that God did, the end intended by the Lord and demonstrate in your life that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Let's pray that God would do that in all of our lives right now. Father, that is our prayer. We need it, Lord. Because, Lord, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of eternity, we will certainly face trials, difficulty, testing, loss. And, Lord, we know that the promise of heaven in our future means that there's a day coming when there will be no more of that. You're going to wipe away every tear. You're going to heal every wound. You're going to restore every broken thing. So Lord, let, let us take seriously now the holy privilege we have to endure for you right now with the perseverance that you worked in your servant Job. Lord, we can only do this because of the great work of the one who's greater than Job, Jesus Christ, whose suffering actually paid for our sins and delivers us from the powers of darkness. Work in our lives after this fashion. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.